Welcome to the Sports Fan Radio Podcast. In today's show, we talk with host of SEN's The First Serve, Brett Phillips, acknowledged tennis guru, about Australia's pathway to the Davis Cup final and looking forward to the 2024 Australian Open. Very special guest today and prescient, as the judge would say, that we've got Brett Phillips on the uh, program because Australia are through to the Davis Cup final, Brett. G'day, Mark and, and crew. Yeah, it's, it's a great performance, isn't it? Considering that if you go back to the quarterfinal on uh, Wednesday against uh, the Czech Republic, they were on the ropes. Australia, Jordan Thompson was defeated. And then Alex Dimonor was, what, 3-5 down in the uh, second set. And uh, his opponent, Yuri Lehechka, who made an Australian Open quarter, he was playing lights there tennis. Uh, I was actually going for a walk and I'd actually turned the TV off. I thought he was done, Alex, and I'll never do that again because he uh, he's phenomenal how he can just play the moment. And he's got all those Hewitt traits. We've talked about that a lot. And then he wins the third set tiebreaker. And then, obviously, we're in, we're in good hands with the doubles with Purcell and Ebden. And we beat the Finns, who were the surprise packet, uh, getting through to the semis. And here we are in the final. So, yeah, runner-up last year, obviously, to the Canadians who surprisingly got knocked out by Finland at the quarterfinal stage on the opening day uh, for the final eight in Malaga this week. And, yeah, obviously Italy beating uh, Serbia overnight. Yannick Sinner, what a star. He's just had an incredible year to beat Djokovic in best of three. Yeah, sets it up for a, a tantalising final. And, look, Australia, absolutely a chance. So we, we've won the Davis Cup a lot, but we haven't won it in quite some time. So, gee, it be a great back end of the year. And just this amazing camaraderie that the Australian team has. You look at the whole bench there. They're up every single point. The players who are not playing, all the support staff, we know how much it means to Leighton and Alex and everyone else who comes into that team. So whilst the Davis Cup is not what it used to be, Australia, uh, there's no shortage of passion to win this uh, prestigious you know, team competition. Brett, uh, just from, on uh, the Davis Cup, sorry, just on the Davis Cup generally because I'd, I'd written it off a couple of years ago. Um, I think a Spanish footballer took over the Davis Cup and I, and I was uh, one who was saying, oh, th- this thing's got a short shelf life. Um, I, it's gone in three sets rather than five sets. The timing of it was all changed and uh, look, I'd written it off, but uh, you'd say that that's just not the case. That was a, a premature calling of its death. Oh, look, it's been a big talking point for us on the first serve uh, this year. I, I have a pretty good connection with uh, Mark Woodford. Mark does a lot of commentary with us at the Australian Open. We go back and forth all year chatting about a range of things. And one of the hats that Mark wears is on the ITF uh, board. And, you know, the Davis Cup is one of his key portfolios. I know after the group stage when Australia played in Manchester, you know, the crowds were really, really poor for that, to be totally frank. And Mark and I went back and forth and, you know, I just said these neutral venues, I mean, I can handle sort of best of five back to best of three, even though I think we'd love it to be the pinnacle like the slams. Uh, but we accept that, you know, nothing stays the same forever. But the neutral venues was the worry for me. But watching the action in Malaga this week, the crowds have been terrific. Now, uh, obviously, Finland had a, a lot of support on the opening couple of days, the Czech Republic, not so far for their fans to travel. There's a pocket of Aussies, but the locals have come along. It does feel more like a Davis Cup uh, sort of uh, venue. But long-term, look, it's obviously been discussed by the whole of tennis at the moment. And, that, and I'm talking about all the governing bodies. What are we doing with this competition? Because 
We've got the United Cup that might be on its last legs in Australia come January. Let's wait and see. Hopman Cup came back this year. We've got the Labor Cup. And I felt that the Davis Cup has been pushed right down um, in the in the bottom rung, if you like. So, But the presentation in Spain has been terrific uh, this week, but we'll see what comes of it. I mean, I just can't quite get my head around that if you win the Davis Cup, you don't get the opportunity to do it on home soil unless you're obviously Spain. Now, Australia, yes, and as Mark has said to me, Australia can bid to host uh, the Davis Cup finals, final eight. It's probably never going to happen because we've got a Grand Slam not far around the corner, and that's the focus of uh, Tennis Australia. But, yeah, I'd still love to see the home and away ties personally right throughout the year. But maybe, maybe this will grow on us in time. And as Mark did say to me, we need to give it some more time to see if it can have that World Cup of Tennis sort of feel. The um, the fact that Djokovic is playing in the Davis Cup is probably a positive as well, Brett. Um, and on the topic of Djokovic, when was the last time he actually lost a match having match points? Um, I, I can't remember. Like Sinner, who... Yep. We've talked about previously as one of the, the next batch of rising stars. Um, won a match where he had match points against him, and the actual match points he played were phenomenal. Um, mm. So I think because previously it was always Davis Cup, there was no buy-in from your top players around the world. Um, so Federer would play sometimes, yeah, but not every year. Um, where I think if you're an Australian, you banked on the fact that Davis Cup meant so much, the history of it, um, representing your country um, and a really strong connection. And whether we get back to that, who knows? But I think Australia is doing their their fourth right or their, their best to actually say, right, we, we're going to buy into the Davis Cup. We've got, and I was doing the exercise this morning, we've got eight men in the top 100 at the moment, which is, mm-hmm. and I don't think anyone would be able to name them. In fact, if I said our highest ranked player is twelve in the world, yeah, like men's tennis at the moment, it's good, but it's probably underwhelming a little bit. If that makes sense. And Kuda, uh, of those eight, I don't think Djokovic is included because I think his, his rankings have actually gone out of. I'm not sure he's even ranked anymore. Who's that? Sorry, um, Djokovic, um, Kyrgios. Nick yep, Kyrgios, Kyrgios is in the top hundred. I, I don't think he's even got a rating at this stage, Brett. No, I think I think he's lost his ranking, and, and we're hearing on the weekend that he's unlikely to take any part in the Australian summer. So I have no idea where the future lies for Nick. I didn't I didn't hear the commentary of the Tennis Channel at the ATP Finals, but I read plenty on social media, and not surprised. He's actually got a pretty high IQ. I think we know that. He knows the sport. Apparently, he was a, a commentating success. So he, even he might be starting to think about that now because I, I think the body. Uh, and, and you know, that probably goes back to having not probably done the work, it's caught up with him, his body, you know, whether it's you know, the knee, other areas, uh, the game's getting even more demanding than it ever has. He looks, he would look at that top end and go Alcaraz, Zinner, Holger Runa, all these guys who are trying to, you know, go up against a man who's 15, 16 years older than them, and he's still playing at this phenomenal level, Djokovic. I mean, it's, it's just brutal tennis, and there's no shortcuts. Maybe Nick's coming to the realisation that I can't quite cut it. Um, I mean, you know, he's got no shortage of things to do in tennis. But, yeah, you talk about the men. I mean, the men have had a terrific year. And this will be fascinating for Leighton 
uh, up against Italy tonight because he went with Jordan Thompson and he's been very loyal to Tomo over a long time in that first rubber. Didn't get it done. So he throws Alexi Poprin in, who was pretty nervous. He'd never won a live rubber before, Alexi. He played in a couple of dead rubbers. So that was huge for him to step up. Does he stick with Alexi? I think, you know, you want to probably keep Purcell and Ebden for the doubles, but Max can come in and play lights out singles. What a year he's had from outside the top 200 to be inside the top 50. So, yeah, spoiled for choice. Then you think of the Davis Cup theme in the future. I mean, eventually, you know, a guy like Rinky Hijikata will probably work his way in. He's, he's played great team tennis, won an Aussie Open with Kubler this year, and you know, he's played in college tennis. He loves that whole team feel. So we've got depth, we've got talent, we've got buy-in and passion, and we'll see if it carries us over the line. But it's funny because the narrative in I always I'm interested by the narrative that you know TA tend to go with. Oh, we've got eight men inside the top 100. But then I, then I was looking at Alex Demonor. He was the lone wolf so far ahead of the field. So I'm wrapped at Purcell, Popran, uh, Vukic got inside the top 50 at one stage. Uh, Tomo's not too far away from his highest ranking. I want to see more of them push into the top 50 now and, and really get where Alex is. That's what I'd love to see next year. The interesting part, Brett, I suppose, is the bottom four in that top group. So you look at names like you mentioned, Vukic, Chris O'Connell, Rinky and Jakarta, and then obviously Kokonakis is at 65, who's probably the best known out of that group. Um, a lot of wins and a lot of work is done, and I think Destiny... Um, has talked about, and I think it might have been on your show. It may have been about yeah, one of our podcasts. Yeah, yeah, one of your podcasts about her struggles around mm-hmm. uh, living, uh, being a professional tennis player, uh, the, the demands financially, physically. Um, these guys have, have earned the right to be in the top hundred. I think that's the important part about all this because they've played challenges, satellites, yep. German club tennis. Uh, probably shared rooms with five, ten people, whatever it is. And now, like, Chris O'Connell's going to be a great story and hopefully he gets to win a couple of rounds to stay at the Australian Open, which then means he sets himself up for the next 12 months. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, if we think, if we think, uh, you know, Johnny Millman, who's going to retire at the end of the Aussie summer, who I think would write the best book and... Uh, he 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 maximised his best tennis between the age of twenty eight and thirty two. So, you know, Thompson I think's in that twenty nine thirty. O'Connell's a bit older, twenty eight. So the Aussies sometimes do take a little longer. I mean, there's the freaks. You know, like Demon obviously was a great junior, made a rapid rise so quickly. But others, it's really incremental. And I mean, guys are playing longer now. The prize money, I think, will continue to get better. I mean, I, you know, this PTPA that's trying to um, Look after the players. Tennis has never really had a union as, as such. Uh, we had them on the show earlier this year. They're making some noise, and Djokovic has led the charge on that. The ATP announced this year that uh, a baseline model for the top 250 players, so if they don't reach a certain wage, the ATP will top that up, whether it's through injury or whatever. So they're trying to say to the top 250, you can make a decent living out of the game, and then beyond that, you know, obviously all the talk around Saudi Arabia and their interest in tennis and how far tennis gets into bed with them. What does that look like financially? Does that filter down to the 300th ranked player, 400th, so that everyone can 
get above the green line and breathe a little bit. I mean, I'm fascinated by that whole tier, you know, all the way down as to the reasons for playing. And it does vary. Everyone's got a very different story. Some are doing it as an investment into their uh, life in tennis. They might be going into coaching or whatever the case. But, yeah, it's a reward. If you can get inside the top 100, gee, it's a real reward. And you can be a little bit more comfortable. You can go, gee, I can breathe a bit here. I can earn some money. I can invest some of that money back in to bring a coach on the road more weeks, uh, bring a physio or a conditioning person so I can keep the body durable so I don't miss weeks. So that's the place yeah, Brett, you want to uh, get to. You mentioned coaching, and we, we talk about coaching a lot on this show. Uh, it seems Australia's clearly got two of the better coaches getting around, Leighton Hewitt and Darren Cale. Um, I just wonder where you see that the coaching of our players sitting at the moment, whether they're getting, uh, Kuna mentioned you know, the eight top players, but are they getting sufficient coaching? Well, this is interesting, isn't it? Because um, if we go with Alex Dimonor, he's had an interesting year. Now, Adolfo Guterres, the Spanish coach, has been with him since he was seven. Adolfo said this year, I only want to do 25 weeks. I've got a family, it's demanding. So Peter Luchak came into the fold, but then Luch was dispensed of uh, post-Wimbledon. And then Matty Reed's just come in as, and they all love Matty Reed, right? He's the <laughs> he's the one that they look after. He's Leighton loves him. They you know play doubles with him when he was playing to get him some prize money at the Aussie Open. But I wouldn't call him a coach. I mean, he's been more a confidant, hitting partner, you know, someone who can be in the camp and prepare you. Um, all the others, uh, you know, Max Purcell, you know, guy with a, a guy like Cole Smith, who is a coach out of Queensland, very low profile, but him and Max strike a, a great chord. Kuda mentioned the name Kokonakis before. He's the most fascinating for me. Now, his coach is Todd Langman. He's been with him forever. If there's one player out of that batch who I feel like now needs an outside voice or an additional coach, because a lot of the players are going with two coaches. You do X amount of weeks. I do X amount of weeks. We all communicate as a team, wherever the nasty is. But I just feel like he needs another voice. Like a lot of players have brought in. You know, Holger Runa brings in Boris Becker. Um, although Holger can probably afford Boris. Not sure if Thanasi can afford Boris Becker. But, he, but I'm, that, I'm sort of trying to get to the... Um, the this is just a, someone else who can add a different dynamic because Thanasi, gee, he should be up, really. For the talent he's got, he should be where Popper and Purcell and Vukic are. And for a variety of reasons, he just is not there. I, I mean, his love of the game has been questioned at times, Thanasi. And... You're either in this game or you're not. If you're half in, you, you sort of get the half results. So he he could just sit in the 60s, the 50s forever. But really, he should be a top 40 player at least. So, I think we've got good coaches, but I think we our, our guys have got to um, yeah always look to add a voice. You know, even if it's a consultant. Brett, we've talked about the men. Um, we've got to talk about the women. Um, if if we're we've got eight men in the top hundred, um, the women's side of it, we've got none in the top hundred. Um, our highest ranked player is one hundred and ten, and that's Kim Birrell. And obviously, Isla Tomvlanovic is injured at the moment. Who's who's probably our best player by obviously some margin. Um, you then have names like Astra Sharma, Olivia Gadika, Arena Rodinova, Storm Hunter. I'll talk about, and then Destiny at one hundred and eighty six now. There's not a a massive group of players that you could see being top 20, top 30 out of that list. Um, top 50 stretch, maybe. 
that's got to be an issue for Australia, doesn't it? Australian tennis and a real concern that mm. we don't have the rising stars. And then if you drill down further into the juniors, we've got three in the top 100. We've got a girl who's 15 ranked 11 in the world. And then we've got 29 and 96. Now, where is the next Ash Barty? Yeah. The next um, Sam Stosa? Um those girls that have obviously done an amazing job for Australian tennis, put us on the map, Grand Slam winners, but also great people. Um, we talk, and, and then the other side of this, of course, is that we've got a, an Australian Tennis Australia CEO who is also the tournament director. There's got to be some KPIs or some criticism of him that doesn't there, surely, in this. Oh, you, you want me to go down the Craig? Uh, Craig no, 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 we've covered. No, mate, we've, no, we've no, covered him fine. before, and I'll, I'll, I'll just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it still blows my mind that yeah. he's had no accountability around the COVID side of things, um, and yet here we are, three years on or four years on, coming up, and um, he still talked about as being one of the great CEOs. And anyway, back to yeah. the women. Yeah, we digress that. Yeah, we could talk yeah, about Tyler for a bit, but look. Um, yeah, look, it's much leaner pickings. Uh, I, I just will mention three names for the future, and you've got them on your list, Akuta. But Taylor Preston, I think, is going to be a star. Now yep. she's playing. She's playing in Brisbane today in the uh, the sixty uh, k final up there. Uh, got a great coach, Brad Dyer. They work together over in Perth. She's part of the National Tennis Academy, but she's based remotely. But she, I interviewed her on the show this year, and sometimes you can just see the glint in the eye of someone, and she. She's got some real capabilities. Now, she's inside the top 300. Emerson Jones is only, what, 15? 15. Younger brother, Hayden. Uh, they're based out of the Gold Coast. But Emerson's 41. a young star. He's 41 in the world. Yeah, and they come from a great family, um, uh, real sporting genes in that family. And the other one is Talia Gibson, who won the doubles in Brisbane yesterday with Priscilla Hon. But she's 18. So Perth are producing a couple of good ones. So they're... We've got asterisks next to them. They're the future. No guarantees. Yeah, Kim, look, snuck in at one stage inside the top 100 this year, just out. But this gets back to as well, and I'm adamant about this, that I just would not give wild cards to home. I'm talking about the four majors who have this luxury of being able to give wild cards for each of the slams. For the tour events, I can handle it. So if we've got Brisbane, Adelaide, okay, let's give it. Aussies maybe a couple of chances as wild cards. But we're effectively giving wild cards into a major to the same group of Australian women for up years now who just can't qualify on their own merits not being inside the top 100. So they, they get a nice little cash injection to start the year, and that's the, that's the benefit of playing for a Grand Slam nation. But I'm a huge believer you earn your spot on merit. And... Um, yeah, you look at that group, Astra Sharma, capable, Jamie Foolis, capable, Destiny Iava, very capable. Um, you know, Kim Birrell, very, very capable. They're all decent players. Just can't get past that hurdle right now. The competition's tough. It's a big tennis world out there. They go and play in all corners. You've got to generate your own atmosphere a lot of the time. They're playing in front of two cats and a dog. It's not easy out on the road, but... I don't know where the light is, Cooter, on that one. I, I can't see a rapid rise for any of these players. I think there's, there's the jury's out maybe that there's a window still possible as they get into their mid to late 20s. 
and they mature a bit more. The ruler I've put through probably three or four um, that the, the, the horse is probably bolted from them ever getting inside yeah. the top one. And then, Brett, obviously the, the, the good part or the, the really positive side um, is one of the great tennis names. It was Storm Sanders, but uh, yes. got married and um, her name is now Storm Hunter. Uh, <laughs> but she is currently the number one ranked player in the world, and obviously Elise Murden's her partner's number two. Yep. Now, that is an amazing effort for Storm, Brilliant. who is a, a, a late blossomer or a late developer. Yep. But really, she won't get the recognition she probably deserves for that. Um, no, that's because we're always putting doubles. Um, this, is what, this, is what, this is what I love about the ATP finals a couple of weeks ago. They actually played the doubles. It's like thinking, you know, the old days of going to the footy. You, know, you go there, watch the twos, into the ones. And, you know, it's in Turin at the moment. I went to the O2 in London. They get 10,000 in for the doubles. And then it would build up to 17,000 by the time the singles were played. And these guys felt important. They felt, gee, there's some real eyes, you know, watching us here. Anyway, that's another story with doubles. But for Storm... Yeah, it's great. Look, she's had to overcome, obviously, illness, some injury, long time off the tour. This is the conundrum she's been in, though, because she would love to flourish in singles. And on her day, I mean, she's been our best-performed player the last three years for the Billie Jean King Cup, the best singles record storm. And you look at her lefty, the dynamics of a lefty in terms of their serve, ground strike, she's got all the capabilities. She's tried to play singles and doubles where you can this year. The planets don't always align there. And then she's gone, gee, I'm doing okay in doubles. The paychecks are pretty good. I can really set myself up here. And then she rises to world number one. And her singles ranking, I think she got as high as, uh, was it 119? At one stage, I think she got to a high off. More than capable, but now she's <laughs> now she's done so well in doubles, that's going to really um, set her up for the future. So it's a shame that yeah, we may never see the best of her in singles, I think. And then the flip side for her as well is that by being strong at, at doubles means that you get the mixed doubles at the majors. Yeah. And, again, there's another really good paycheck for that. Um, you talk about the O2, and obviously I think you interviewed someone on the way there on a ferry uh, a few years ago. So uh, very different. Uh, John, you'd be impressed by the O2, the all the players had their own locker rooms and they're treated really? like stars um, <laughs> and recognised because they're the top 10 or whatever it is or they're qualified for it, recognised as the best in the world and treated accordingly, which is something foreign, I think, for uh, for a sport that probably deserves it. But can I just, just follow from that and, and create Tyler Yish, if you like, but it was about 10 years ago, I think, um, there was a survey came out that tennis was Australia's most popular sport. And uh, as Professor said, well, look, I did the commissioning of, you know, who commissioned the survey and was Tennis Australia. But they, I don't think they'll even pretend to put that survey out now. Um, I think pickleball might be actually more in the uh, the, 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 the public's mind than, than tennis at the moment. I, I just get the feeling that unless it's the something like a Davis Cup final, which wakes us up or this, the Australian Open comes around, most of the year we just... We're just not hearing about it. We're not. We're not interested. Well, yeah. I mean, I probably. I mean, yes. Obviously, I mean, I, I live and breathe it, and we follow tennis every week. We have a radio show that goes forty-four weeks of the year, and um, so I'm in it. But I understand the casual viewer, and this is. And I'm lucky. I, you know, I do some stuff for Channel Nine. At least that we get to see the majors on free-to-air television, which is a great deal. 
Um, but obviously, you guys would be aware, you know, Foxtel, uh, going back a few months ago, cut B in sports. So if you're a Foxtel subscriber, you had B in there for free. You could watch all the tour events week to week. Now, that's not even available uh, unless you go and actually subscribe to B in or Tennis TV or WTA TV. So there's not as much, uh, apart from the majors, and and obviously Channel 9 are showing the, the, the Davis Cup and the Billie Jean King Cup, there's not a lot of tennis in our eyes week to week. I'm talking about all the Masters events and all the, the great tennis that's been played at 500 and 250 level. Um, so not as much exposure, but, yeah, I mean, there's so many aspects to the development of tennis, you know, in this country. I And I think I said it on your show before that, and I'm still of the view that I think if, if, if it ever – I don't think it'll ever probably happen – um, but really you split tennis in two. You know, you just have the Australian Open, which is the pillar run by an executive management team and board, and then you'd have, you know, tennis, the community tennis uh, run by a separate general manager, CEO, along with the states. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, I, I still hear about the same issues about um, not feeling enough love. I mean, if you're a governing body in any sport, you're not going to please anyone. The AFL cop it. Cricket Australia cop it. Everyone, you know, I, I, I sort of think maybe we're a little harsh sometimes, but I think some of the criticism is uh, is warranted. And, you know, for example, um, you know, like we have an Australian pro tour here, but it's not promoted, it's not marketed. And, you know, these are good players, you know. They, they go to Darwin, they go to Cairns, they go to Terrelgan, they go to Burnie. Uh, they're in Brisbane this week. And there's no one really coming along to watch because we've got the Grand Slam and that's it. And we don't worry about it. We're providing playing opportunities, but we're not telling anyone about these players and getting any sort of footage or... Um, yeah, but yeah, the guy so, who's running the Grand Slam is, is also the guy running Australian tennis at some yeah. level. And it just seems to me that we're just so focused on that fortnight. Yes. Uh, that's actually unhealthy. Um, it, just as a sideline, I was at Wangaratta watching the tennis uh, as I do on the weekends, and um, it's now the Wangaratta Tennis Croquet and Pickleball Club. Now that's yeah. that's just horrible to me. That well, so diluted. Yeah, pickleball is the interesting one. We, we do a uh, we do a paddle uh, podcast, which is the other sport. And obviously, there's a facility in Melbourne uh, uh, down at Docklands there, underneath the Balti Bridge, and there's other paddle centres that have been set up. Now paddle is huge in South America and Europe. Pickleball, obviously, huge in the States. And I just read across the weekend that Steve Wood, the former Australian Open, or former tennis CEO. Australian CEO, is now getting right involved with the um, development of pickleball here. Uh, tennis Australia are now the governing body for paddle because they were separate, so they've taken that under their wing. And, yeah, it's so I suppose it's all about the whole package, isn't it? They want, they want to get more people into tennis, but they realise that, Society uh, times are different. Uh, time management is different. People don't necessarily want to play regulation tennis. Okay, so we'll throw your paddle, pickleball, cardio tennis, all these offerings. You pick and choose. But how clubs are going to set themselves up long term will be interesting. I mean, it's quite easy. Paddle is different because paddle has the uh, much more costly in terms of infrastructure at your tennis club. Pickleball, you just put some lines in and. You know, that's a fairly straightforward operation. So I think I think you're going to find a lot of tennis clubs are going to be multi-use across all of those uh, going forward because 
Well, it's funny. Pickleball's a form of tennis and it's played in the basketball court. Yeah. So, I mean, talk about crossing over your sports. Yeah. I was just going to chime in afternoon, gents. Um, Matthew Perry, uh, rest in peace, he was playing pickleball uh, just before his uh, his death. But is that, just to, if you could explain it quickly, is that like the 2020 equivalent of um, the cricket? Is it a quicker game than tennis or is it, sure, a smaller court, isn't it? Yes. So paddle, paddle and pickleball are pretty much the same. The only thing with paddle is you've got the glass windows behind where you can use that window... So the ball can bounce off into play, and then you can it's it's, it's continuous play. Pickles just for me. I, I haven't played pickleball. I have played paddle. Pickleball just feels like a little bit of table tennis out there. You know, yeah, it's yeah. much smaller court, Small dead court. touch, but the rackets are very very uh, similar. It seems like maybe more of the older generation are playing pickle. Mm. Paddle is a combination of like tennis and squash together. So it's, it's actually it's a fair workout when we played down at the uh, Docklands. You sweat it up a fair bit and you're changing direction. Ball's going behind you, in front of you. Um, so, but yeah, similar in terms of like I think scoring and all that sort of stuff. But, I heard that Jack Sock uh, yeah. is, is, is playing pickleball professionally. So there must be some money in the game in America. Huge. Yeah, I can't think of the exact figure, but. The other day I was reading um, there's these pickleball leagues are offering huge price money. They get crowds along, so, yeah, it's taken off. Absolutely. Well, uh, wait, wait, wait till Saudi Arabians get involved. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Brett, you mentioned um, before the National Tennis Academy. Um, now, not many people would actually know we've got a National Tennis Academy and mm-hmm. who's behind it. And then there was a job advertisement um I think it was in the last fortnight, maybe three weeks. And I think it was for the high-performance director mm-hmm. for Tennis Australia. Now, what is the National Tennis Academy? Yep. Where is it based? Who is it? Like, And then how are they? Are they reportable to Tennis Australia? Like, again, I think what we're doing here is we're just all these levels and layers that are within the sport. Yeah. So the NTA is yeah, based out of Brisbane at the Queensland Tennis Centre there. I actually went and visited last year for a couple of days. I was really curious to have a look. Spoke to a lot of the players, um, a lot of the uh, team there. There was, was a guy called Chris Marty heading it up, but he's gone to the States now. I think Brent Larkham's involved. So basically the NTA is, okay, we're going to support uh, uh, this criteria to get in. Where the, you know, I think it was 23 players this year. So that can range from... It's usually kids in that sort of 15 to 23 age bracket who are coming into the performance side. And obviously, they'll, they'll look after you to about 23. Then they say, well, you're on your own now. You've got to start fending for yourself. So you obviously receive some funding. You receive uh, coaching. Uh, you can use that Queensland Tennis Centre uh, as much as you like. They do – this is what was explained to me at the time. Because the players are in and out of Australia, they'll have blocked of the year where they actually train there and there was a full-on gym and every everything you need. But, for example, I mentioned Taylor Preston before, the young 18-year-old is based out of Perth. So she's actually part of the NTA, receives the funding and support, but is elected not to base herself there. Obviously, you know, it doesn't make sense. Perth, Brisbane, the logistics, she's got a great setup in Perth, well-coached. Um, yeah, I mean, look, obviously there's a lot of academies around the world uh, you know, I think obviously it's it's good in some uh, in some ways, but the biggest part now that I think is better in tennis is that the private coach 
has stayed involved in the entire journey. Once upon a time, it was TA taking the best kids. Thank you, private coach. You've got them off to a start. We'll now look after it. But they've recognised that the private coach has got that connection. Um, it's not, you know, you're not the finished product at 13, 14, 15, whatever the case may be. So is it perfect? Um, no. You know, it's, it's, it's a, I could talk for hours on it, to be totally honest. Um, you know, player development is the biggest topic of discussion in this country. Our best practice compared to the way Europe prepare players, compared to the way the Americans play. I will just say one thing that I may have said last year, but it's been reinforced this year for me that the college pathway, though, I think is an absolute no brainer. I realise every kid might not want to do that. And you don't have to do a full four year term. You can go and sample it. Rinky did two years. That's enough for me. And he was building. He can get out in the road. It does so much for you because to enter tennis as a, geez, 17, 18 year old, unless you've got extremely wealthy parents or you're getting funded, it's, uh, it's enter at your own risk. And going to college, at least you get a bit of maturity, you get a lot of matches, you get everything paid for. You come out. Adam Walton, great story this year. You know, came out as a 23 year old from Tennessee, ready to go, built the body, built the mind. He's resilient. And he's, um, you know, his rankings now inside the top 200. That's just one example. Brett, we were talking to our American correspondent, uh, Dan Butterley, about this very topic recently. And basically, the American Olympic team is full of college athletes. It, yep. it's, just, it's just about all of them. Uh, we've got an entirely different system. And, uh, and I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. It just makes so much sense to get some education and get really good sport, um, an environment that absolutely encourages you with the best coaches around it, it almost seems a no-brainer to go that yeah, way yeah I, I probably should just say yeah, it, it does i agree it does feel like a no-brainer to me but and, and what some people have explained to me this year is that kids wouldn't even have it and parents who need to be really educated right because the parents aren't sure they don't know the best uh, passage and path they're relying on um you know people in the tennis fraternity to really guide them but a lot of kids didn't even have it as a consideration so now it has to be a real serious consideration because a lot would just go, oh, I'm going on my own. Let's go. Let's, let's get out there and play. Let's play pro tournaments. But, you know, unless you're an absolute, unless you're an absolute superstar, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it's a bloody, it's a hard road. It really yeah. is. And Brett, the th I think the point you've raised there is that in year 10 or 11 is that you need to have that on your horizon so that you do everything you can to, meet the college criteria, so playing tournaments, rankings, mm. uh, whatever it is, so that you actually are able to go to college in America that, um, like, I, I obviously know quite a few that have done it. Um, the benefit for them is if they don't make it as a tennis player, they come back with a career. Oh, sorry, come back with a qualification yeah. um, and, and a pretty good experience that, they've got to, to fall back on. So I just I agree with you. I think it's no-brainer. We've certainly talked about before. Um, and what it also does, I think this is the important part as well, is that it makes for better tennis here. So you've just finished co uh, commentating the Victorian Premier League and the standard of that has gone up considerably. Good. And there's a lot more younger players playing state grade and I won't talk about mixed doubles in the Waverley District that's gone by the wayside. They don't give a yeah. shit. Um, okay. 
but Premier League has come on leaps and bounds. Can I just say, can I, I saw a bloke last week. We did the coverage of Kuyong. It was fantastic. Right. So I actually interviewed him earlier in the year. He he been to college. He's a Kiwi, and he'd come to Melbourne to get more opportunity. Lands himself at Grace Park, not far from me here in Hawthorne. Beautiful club. And I'd never seen him play live. So he played state grade, went and played just a little small um, amount of ITFs. His ranking's about 1,010, right? His name's James Watt. Now, he's a big boy. I don't know. He must be around 200 centimetres. It was like watching John Isner last week, just serving absolute thunderbolts. But he was his lateral movement, great mover on the ground as well. So I'm fascinated to see, right? So he's got, he's 23, gone to college, come from New Zealand where we know that, you know, tennis isn't absolutely flourishing. It's hard yards over there. Comes to Melbourne, wants to get into a better environment, play more tennis. But what I saw, what I saw was a top 100 player. I'm not trying to, you know, make this sound better than what it was. This guy was phenomenal. So, and we interviewed him after and uh, I said, well, you know, you're hoping to play a full year next year? Yes, absolutely. I've just been trying to put some cash behind me and set everything up so I can travel and and maximise the year and just keep an eye on this kid, James Watt, ranking just outside of 1,000, what he might be able to do in 2024. Uh, yeah, isn't, he, isn't he someone then, not saying necessarily, but is he someone you'd say, well, maybe he's worth a wild card? Like, just... Rather than <laughs> the same same people every year or the winner of the, the AO Challenge or whatever they call that now, is to actually have some talent identification. So, well, do you know what? Like, this guy is someone that's up mm. and coming, um, not the yeah. traditional pathway, um, and or he goes through the AO. I don't know, but it's these are the sorts of people that we should, because if he loses first round, he gets 100,000. Mm. Well, the last time I can think of, Dave, was Lee Two, right, who was coming back for part two of his career from Adelaide, was a junior, started out, um, didn't didn't do a lot, lost interest in travelling, so goes back to Adelaide, sets up his own coaching business. Everyone kept telling him, Lee, have a second crack at this. Come on, you can play. And he decided to do that right when COVID happened. That's when they were playing all the UTRs in Australia. He was dominating. He got into the Australian Open based on his success in the, with the UTRs. He hadn't even played any ITF events. That was the last time I can think of Tennis Australia going outside the, I suppose, normal criteria because what had, what had happened is that there were a lot of players ranked above him, clearly. He didn't have a rank. But they were thinking, well, hang on, we, we've given it to him seven times. We've given it to him three times, four mm. times, and they haven't done anything with this wild card. And that's why, that's why I don't like the wild cards, to be totally frank. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> look, I think yeah, you know, certainly he's the guy. Anyway, I'm going to keep an eye on him because I think he will um, he will make some noise in 2024. All right, Brett. Uh, look, thanks for your time today. We might get out of you uh, a couple of predictions. Who's going to uh, be successful out of Australia and Italy in the Davis Cup? <laughs> Ooh, we, we, we've got to we've got to stop uh, the uh, the NX dinner. Well, he's he adopted Aussie Darren Cale. What a star! If he could take a fourth athlete to world number one in tennis, where does that put him? Uh, phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Well, obviously, Pop, Popper and I think Popper will get the nod. So he's got to stand up. He has got to stand up. If if Alex can't beat Yannick Sinner, uh, which is going to be tough, 
then it's all on the doubles and the other reverse. So I think the Aussies, I think, you know, they're, they're hurting from last year. They want to win this thing. So, yep, Leighton will have them pumped running through the banner tonight. All right. And on Sports Fan Radio, we love a long-range prediction. You're uh, Australian Open winners in the male and female singles. <laughs> well, I think they're going to build a statue of him, aren't they? There's the talk about building a statue of Novak. Um, he might win 15 of these. He might, he might eclipse what Rafa's done at the French on, in one slam. Oh, yeah, I mean, right now, you, you can't go past him. I mean, the fascinating one's going to be Alcaraz. Hasn't had a great time of it post-Wimbledon, but he's learned a lot about himself. It's not die straight. He's number two in the world. He's you know finding out how to deal with his body and everything. Uh, and we get to see him in Australia, which is great because he missed last summer. Uh, but, yeah, how can I go past uh, Novak? And on the women's side, it's been a fascinating year, Mark, because Arena Sabalenka grabbed the, the mantle there for a little bit. Eager's got it back at the end of the year. And those two, along with Rebuckina, are the big three. Jessica Bagula, she's part of the top four, but can't beat any of these players when it really counts in the majors. So... I might go Sabalenka to go back-to-back, but, yeah, I can't see a, a bolter somewhere at the moment. Although we're getting a few. Hey, Osaka's going to be back. Kerber's going to be back, both from uh, giving birth. Wozniacki. So it's going to be a good Australian Open. Just on the, I'll take you back to the men's side quickly if I can. Can the man of the moment, Sinner, become a saint? He's a star. Oh, I love him. Oh, I love this kid. Uh He's he. I'll tell you what I'm going to be fascinated by is him and Elkaraz jockeying for position around Djokovic. I reckon Sinner's grown a leg, and the type of tennis he's playing at the moment with Darren in his corner, he could certainly uh, get through to a Grand Slam final uh, for the first time. So, yeah, going to be a huge year uh, for Yannick. We're pretty blessed when you've got Sinner. Alcaraz, Runa, the year of Ben Shelton. What a year, this star oh. young American who's brash and bold. There's more coming as well. Men's tennis is in good hands for a long time. And there's an extra day of the uh, Open this year, Brett. Starts on the Sunday. I know. What's going on there, Mark? We work hard enough for 14 days. Now we've got to go into a, a 15th. Innovation, innovation, Brett. Innovation. Uh, it makes a bit of sense. It makes a bit of sense, doesn't it? And... I mean, it's not going to avoid, if everyone thinks that we're not going to have a couple of late-night finishes, I mean, tennis, as we know, the day the day starts at a certain time, um, but there's no uh, no end time until the match is totally over. But I think spreading the first round over the first three days hopefully will keep everything on track. And having just the two matches on Rod Laver and Margaret Court means that that third match of the day where they often used to put Rafa in who would push the night session back to staying at 8.30, 9 o'clock, and that pushes the whole schedule. At least we'll always be able to start the night sessions on time. So we'll uh, see how it pans out. But, yeah, going to be a huge Australian summer. You know, Brisbane back on the calendar, which is great for them. The United Cup, I'm sure he's there for me, but I'm interested to look at it. Truncated version down to two venues, Adelaide, Hobart, and into the Aussie. So we'd love we'd love the window to be longer, but that's what we've got, the month of January, and we'll see how it rolls out. Okay, Brett, thanks for spending time with us today. And uh, we can't let you go without you giving a plug for your show, which we all listen to. 
Uh, the first serve, yes, their final one for the year, Mark, uh, tomorrow night. Big three-hour extravaganza, 8 till 11pm. Uh, so, yeah, on SCN in Melbourne, on the SCN app. You can listen online, scn.com.au, or if you're listening around the country to this great show, uh, SCN's got a frequency everywhere, including over in New Zealand, well, for this year anyway, because <laughs> Hutchie's done a nice little deal with uh, SCNZ for next year. But, yeah, uh, yeah we, look, we look forward to it. 15th year of doing the show. We're going to go into a 16th year of doing the show next year. So, no, it's good fun. Well, that's Congrats. terrific, and we look forward to listening to it, especially around Australian Open time. Thanks for listening to this Sports Fan Radio podcast. We'll have another podcast up very shortly. Meanwhile, why don't you listen to one of the other great podcasts in the series? 